busy just busy today to, yeah I am yeah I have lots of little daughter stuff this weekend and errands and work and all good things but yeah I'm a little a little rushed because I'm busy that's great busy's good how are you I'm good um I wrote a blog piece yesterday that made me cry all day long, which is really funny because I never expect that to happen anymore. I feel (laughs) for some reason I have this like I do have this idea of myself as being somewhat unaffected by like having on some level unaffected, right? Mm -hmm. Like feeling like um, I've processed all that stuff. And I wrote about eating disorders yesterday and um, and I read it aloud to Megan. And when I was reading it aloud to Megan, um, I just lost it. Um, And then I uh, and then all day I just mm-hmm. yeah so I'm doing really great I, I'm feeling good and and I also um, I'm excited because tomorrow I have a um, weight tantric yoga uh, which is just a, a nine about a nine hour um, meditation uh, kundalini meditation thing um, so cool. and so I'm looking forward to shedding some crap yeah um, I'm jealous um, I have nine hour um, play <laughs> practice and. <laughs> <laughs> and play to watch for my daughter. So that'll it basically I do think the same that's thing. Awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say. Just as much work. Um great. So let's get into it. We just did an interview with Kelly Brogan, MD. Mm-hmm. I was turned on to Kelly's work by one of my clients um who's sober and who also um is also a mental health professional and who also got herself off of psych meds. She thought it was really important that I knew about Kelly's work and also that I knew about Robert Whitaker's work. Um, and so I started digging into it and I just became, I fell in love with Kelly just because I, um, my background is in healthcare. Um, and I know, uh, I know how hard it is to go against, uh, I know how hard it is for doctors to basically stand up and say they don't believe in, in pharma, um, especially psychiatric, uh, a psychiatrist. And that's what Kelly it was, it was like the and most so, refreshing conversation I've ever had with a doctor by far. The first human conversation I've ever had with a doctor. <laughs> Truly. Well, I've had though I've had those. It's just I've also been told things like food is not medicine. Um, mm-hmm. I've also been told things um, like uh, I've, I, I just have, I have a friend who is a psychiatrist who I know uh, – was was not um I know who got the like tongue in cheek and the eye roll from other doctors because she was not, she was a psychiatrist and just like Kelly mm-hmm. like um you know Ivy League trained and got that like that treatment of not being a real doctor because she didn't believe in uh, psychopharmacology yeah. and so I what she's she's the yes of of most doctors, all doctors I know, she's um, she's definitely um, 
I would say uh, the one that aligns closest to what I've come to discover for myself and believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So we wanted to, we wanted to talk to her um, for all those reasons. And um, we, she does a really great job. This is our shortest interview. She only had 30 minutes, but she does a really great job of explaining her work and sort of how she arrived there. And um, then talking about, I mean, I, I am in one of those, I'm one of the people that, you know, is like a prime candidate to work with her in a way, because I am still, I'm an on an SSRI. I am on birth control, um, and no other medications anymore. But I was told, you know, don't touch, don't touch that until you, till you're a year or two sober and maybe never because, you know, I, I have, yeah, it's, we talk about it all. We don't need to re-explain it, but it's, it's a trap. No. It's a trap. It's a cop. It's a trap that you get, you easily get stuck into. And I know a lot of people who are in it and I'm, I have hesitation, like a lot of it to go this route, but I also just based on my experience, go what route, like go medication free because I've experienced what it's like, what, what my brain feels like, what my body feels like and what my life feels like when I'm not on that medication. And I don't want to feel that way. So, um, it's terrifying. And, you know, she explains what that is, that that is actually withdrawal from a substance, not like what your brain would feel like if you, if you got off of it safely and did these other things to, um, to help your body and your mind, um, through food, through, um, through meditation, through yoga, through all of that, um, which obviously I'm all on board with. And, so I have, I have a lot of, a good amount of hesitation around it, but I feel like I'm at this point ready to explore it because, uh, I also, you know, because of my experience with sobriety, I mean, basically what she was explaining is the way that you want to feel is the way that we have, we feel about sobriety, that it's a choice that you're ultimately making yourself more free, that you're going to be able to live not fearlessly. I don't buy into that, but with the sort of power, you own the power. You know, you're not dependent on a thing outside of yourself and part of a system yeah. that you, that you, you know, don't want to um, necessarily be part of. So this is amazing. And I can't wait to dig into her work. Like, you know, you've gone far into it and you were the one who found her and wanted to bring her on for a long time and just really honored that she agreed to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And everything that you just said. And, um, you know, for me, I got off of antidepressants years ago. I think it's so weird because I I'd been on them for years mm-hmm. and then I just stopped um, and without doing any tapering. Um, and I can't remember what happened to me. I'm guessing nothing tragic. Who knows? I mean, after that, I did start having panic attacks pretty severely. Anyway. Right. Um, and that's not what she recommends, by the way. <laughs> right right no she uh, has a protocol for tapering and this is this is something we don't talk about in the interview but I love her point that she makes in her work of you know the doctors that prescribe these drugs to us uh, they do they're not trained to to take us off of them Mm -hmm. so it's not even in their interest you know a lot of times 
Right. Um, but the, but I mean, the main thing is they don't know how. They don't know how to, to properly taper one off um, of, of uh, psychopharmacology. So anyway, um, yeah, this is, it's a great interview. It's close to my heart. Um, and I, I hope it provides you, and the main thing I hope it provides is uh, insight and, and not pressure. Just yes. because I think more than anything, what Lauren, I always try and do with this show is provide you information so you can make your own choices based upon where you're at and what feels right for you. And in no way do we ever want you to feel like you have to do something at any certain point in time or add any pressure. Um, the last thing that we want to be are models in this world of, of you know, what you have to do mm-hmm. um, in order to be something. And so I hope you take this, you know, as as you can and um, as just another resource that we're providing to you and not us stating anything about whether or not um, you should, you know, or should not use um uh drugs yep well psychopharmacology yeah don't don't do don't do drugs um okay awesome is that good enough great yeah okay let's do it all right um hey kelly good morning hello great to be here (laughs) i'm so excited to have you um i read your book I ate your book, um, and I've been. You looking- did eat her book. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been looking for something like that for a while. Um, my one of my good friends uh, is a is also um, a psychiatrist in New York City, um, and and was not um, was was not into psychopharm a couple of years ago, and um, I saw how uh, how ostracized she got within the community because yeah. of it. Um, yeah. And so I know how brave it is uh, what you're doing. And so I have a lot of questions. Laura has a lot of questions. So we're just going to get into it since this is a shorter interview. So I guess the first is just, um, can you tell us a bit about what your work is um, and what your book, A Mind of Your Own, is about? Sure. So, you know, like your friend, I, you know, am a totally conventionally trained psychiatrist and very much bought in to the notion that we've cracked the code of human behavior. We have all the tools and science to support alleviation of suffering, you know, on the entirety of the spectrum from psychosis to mood uh, issues to anxiety to addiction to even grief. You know, we know how to help people and we just need to get more and more people into treatment. I've always been very interested in primary um, medical literature and in biology. I was a neuroscience major in college. And, you know, my entire um, world basically changed when a confluence of factors sort of were delivered to me by the universe, right? Um, I was uh, nine months postpartum my first pregnancy, and I had just finished my fellowship where I was specializing in uh, what's called psychosomatic medicine or consultation psychiatry, but basically is medical psychiatry. So I was really interested in uh, working with uh, patients who had other medical illnesses and needed psychiatric attention for either side effects of medications or physiologic processes. So somehow I already knew that the body had something to do <laughs> with psychiatric <laughs> illness, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like I didn't put it together at that point. And really that was my avenue, believe it or not, for specializing in medicating pregnant and breastfeeding women. Um, so that fellowship is really, you know, was my launching pad for that specialization. I've always been a feminist, 
Um, of course, I, I used to be a feminist who believed that, you know, access to lifelong birth control, elective C-sections and the Gardasil vaccine was like really what feminism was all yeah. about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I sort of changed my you know tune a bit on that. But it wasn't until nine months postpartum that I was diagnosed with my first medical condition. And, you know, most physicians who cross over to the the side of holistic medicine really do so because they have had an experience that has, you know, lifted the veil for them. Right. right? So I, I was just another story like that. You know, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune condition Mm -hmm. and had never, ever even thought about my health, Mm. which is of course ironic, but not atypical for a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. I'd never thought about my health once. I, um, I've always been pretty much the same size, you know, I've mm-hmm. never had weight issues and that was a <laughs> a blessing and a curse because, mm-hmm. you know, I ate McDonald's and White Castle and drank soda and ate candy literally every day of my life. Mm-hmm. I never exercised. I dyed my hair black. I took birth control for 12 years, experimented with random, you know, medications in the cabinet <laughs> as a, you know, as a resident. And, um, and so it really was interesting to me that I felt inclined to go seek out the support and services of a naturopath because I had never, that was so off my radar, but I did that because I knew that conventional medicine had nothing to offer me, right? Like I knew Mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to be curing this thing through conventional medicine. And I'm frankly, I didn't want to be bothered with taking a pill for the rest of my life. That's what I was going to say. That was the thing that called out to me the most was that you, your choice was to basically get on medication for the rest of your life and you just weren't going to have it. Right. Yeah. And I was just really, I found that to be an annoying prospect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, so I went to a naturopath and within the space six months, you know, I, put my um, antibodies that were in the high 2000s into total remission. And, you know, about a year later, I was totally off thyroid hormone. And now I'm seven years out and I don't take a single thing. So that was a red, massive red flag for me around my education and training, because I had never learned that you could put an autoimmune disorder into remission. Mm. Of course, you know, never through diet. I mean, right. I, I never learned that diet really had any significance. It was like almost like a politically correct question you would ask your patients, you know, like, oh, by the way, <laughs> on their way out, you know, oh, by the way, like, try not to eat, drink so much soda while I, while I had like a Pepsi on my desk. Um, so, you know, that, that experience, uh, and again, I can't, I, you know, emphasize more that don't, people don't l- learn, you know, from information. They learn from experience. Yes. And, yes. you know, that's why in A Mind of Your Own, I have the 30-day the plan. And that's why I've launched an online program to, to give people the opportunity to have an experience. Don't take it from me, right? Like, forget about the, the information. And the science is only so interesting if you're already open. But really, right, right. like, look into cultivating this experience for yourself. Because for me, then I was ready to receive new information. And a colleague gave me the book um, Anatomy of an Epidemic by yeah, Robert Whitaker. Yeah, so good. Never read. Oh, my gosh, it, cha- it changed my life. I never would have read this book had I not just at that time already, you know, been rattled by what I had experienced putting my illness into remission. So I read this book and put down my prescription pad forever. And I never started a patient on medication again, because what this book essentially says is, and and remember, I have been following the literature for many years. For 14 years, I've spent four hours every Saturday of my life 
reading primary literature. So I was already that person. And so I was pretty, um, I don't know, irritated uh, by the fact that all of the studies in this book I had never encountered. In my (laughs) Ivy League training, no one had ever told me that all of the long-term data actually supports the fact that if you start an antidepressant and you take it, you know, for, for many years, you're going to do worse functionally than had you never touched it. Why were you not, why did you not find those? Like, why were they not within your, how did you not see them? Well, listen, you know, we have to remember who's pulling the strings of medical education, right? So medical education, if you see it for what it is, then you won't be so disappointed when you learn that you only were exposed to pharmaceutically funded science. Okay. That's what medical education is. Mm-hmm. It is a pharmaceutical enterprise. And if you see it as that, then good, take it or leave it or take part of it or, or whatever. But it was never framed that way, of course, for me. Um, and so my mentors in my conventional training were only passing on what they had learned. So, you know, it's that kind of an, in, you know, it's an insulated um, channel of information. And then the nature of PubMed.gov, right, like that the government maintained um, database for all of the, you know, medical literature, is that you can find really science to support any perspective. Yeah. So. I was only looking for science to support the perspective that I had learned about. And there was never any insinuation that there was any legitimacy to a broader perspective. And that's what's interesting about it is that, you know, the, the, the protocol that I implement, so to speak, today is actually evidence-based. <laughs> you know, right. if it weren't, frankly, I wouldn't care. Uh, but it is. And that's what's actually just interesting to me. Like, wow, all of this science actually exists to support what it is that I'm doing with patients through lifestyle medicine the science is actually there. So I sort of feel like, well, at some point it might've been nice if, uh, you know, if any of the doctors that I had worked with in my training had been like, well, you know, the science does exist, here are the flaws in it, and this is why we don't want to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. no one even said that. So when I read right. this book, I was convinced of his hypothesis, Robert Whitaker's hypothesis, which is that we have ever escalating rates of disability, mental health disability worldwide. Depression is the number one cause of disability in the world. And why do we have that when actually more people than ever in human history are treated with medication, right? Like, shouldn't medication be mitigating, uh, you know, lessening, um, diminishing that disability rate if it's actually doing what it's, you know, uh, claiming to be capable of doing? And so he argues um, that it's medication that's actually disabling the human population. So... I was totally convinced by what I read. And by the way, he talks about all medications, antipsychotics, stimulants, benzodiazepines, mood stabilizers, antidepressants. And I could no, no longer, based on the science I was now aware of, justify a single prescription. And so that extremity um, really launched me into a very different kind of practice. Yeah. When was that? That was, you got, you got ill seven Ten. years ago. Yeah, it was in 2010. Okay. That I read his book. So, okay, so here's the question that I have. Um, I have two questions to kind of follow this line of thought. First of all, do you think all psychopharm is bad? Like, are there any medicines out there that you think are necessary, like um, for bipolar, for instance, like lithium? Mm. Great question. I get this question a lot. And listen, I am a woman of extremes. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I, I want to get totally 100% behind um, what it is that I am offering my patients. And to do that, I have to, I have to walk the walk, right? Yeah. So when I 
learned about the immune system and, you know, I'm a psychiatrist, I'm not an immunologist, but I would wager I know more about immunology than, than potentially a lot of my internist friends, um, simply because I was motivated by my own health experience. Okay. So there's nothing like that kind of motivation to really, you know, open up your mind, uh, to absorbing a a lot of complexity. Uh, So anyway, you know, I learned that I have no need for pharmaceutical products in my own life. I have two children. Um, this is how I raise them. And I, I love life. <laughs> I feel great. How, how extreme does that go? Um, I don't want to cut you off, but how far does that go? Like all the way, like, all like, the way. no ibuprofen. No. Oh God. No. Oh no. No. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I stopped okay. taking ibuprofen cause your book. well listen because i learned there's no free lunch right and 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 anytime you believe that you can pull just one little thread of the spider web and leave the whole thing intact which of course Mm -hmm. is what we are led to believe by conventional medicine you know it's an illusion you're pulling the whole thing so you're not just like alleviating pain in your ankle no you're impacting your entire system which has not evolved to recognize this molecule that is totally synthetic and it it's going to have to work pretty hard to adapt to that exposure we are already living in an environment that is putting our entire nervous system immune system on guard 24 hours a day, right? We're already in that space. So, so why add insult to injury? So yeah, no, it goes all the way. You know, I, you know, chemotherapy, you know, epidurals, vaccines, antibiotics, nothing, nothing ever, you know, is alcohol. So that's a great question. And it actually bridges me to the answer, (laughs) the actual answer to your question. So I actually do drink alcohol socially here and there. Um, I, you know, treat my body like a temple, but over seven years, I've learned about cause and effect, right? So I've learned where and when I can cut corners, like, can I have sugar one bite? You know, what are the parameters? I never have gluten and dairy, for example, ever, 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 ever. And that's where I have learned is a line I need to draw. But everyone has their own chemistry. Everyone has to tailor this, um, you know, you know, self-care to, to their own body and mind and spirit, right? So the cause and effect thing is really critical. And what I learned about psychiatric medications is that they aren't actually unlike alcohol, right? So, you know, one of the most powerful analogies I actually heard from David Healy, who's a psychiatrist in the UK, and he talks about the fact that if you're an anxious person and, you know, you drink two shots of vodka, your anxiety is going to diminish, right? You're going to be able to go to that party you were so worried about and you're going to have no problem socializing. So you could see during a you know, six-week randomized placebo-controlled trial of two shots of vodka a day. And you could probably imagine that the, the trial would actually, you know, have outcomes in support of alcohol as an intervention for anxiety. Mm-hmm. But what if we recommend that based on a six-week trial for long-term, quote-unquote, treatment, prophylaxis, right? Mm-hmm. We all know that, you know, after 10 years of exposure, if that patient decides they want to stop, you know, using that treatment, they're going to be, you know, potentially struggling. And we also would never think that the effect would mean that they have an alcohol deficiency or an alcohol imbalance, right? Right, We know intuitively that that alcohol is having a chemical effect. And again, you may like it. It may be adaptive. Maybe you can use it to your own advantage, but you must remember and not be misled, you know, into thinking that it is resolving an underlying chemical imbalance. So I believe everyone should do the treatment that they believe in. 
right? I'm not here to tell people what to do. I'm only here to make sure that before you make a decision that could change your entire life forever, you should have all of the information. Yeah. That's all. It's called informed consent. It's a basic tenet of ethical medicine. Right. And so I believe that you should have that choice, um, be informed by all of the data, and then you make your choice. But it's been my um, experience now for several years that the chemical effects of these medications are quite unpredictable. Um, and they can be lethal even within a couple of doses. They can yeah. result in totally um, unforeseen heinous acts of violence, you know, that are induced by what we are now understanding is called akathisia induced impulsivity. And mm -hmm. I can do it better, faster, and safer with natural means. I mean, I've actually started to publish um, case reports, and I've actually recruited a number of my patients to begin um, speaking on video, which, of course, in the realm of psychiatry is, you know, challenging, you know, somewhat right. culturally. Oh, and like showing their face, exactly. telling their story. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I just published one on my blog yesterday, a patient of mine named Rose, um, who had a long history yeah. of substance abuse and also 25 years of five psychiatric medications. She was sick and suicidal the entire time she was in treatment, the entire time she was following doctor's orders. And, you know, within two months of our work together, and of course she had been already initiated the process on her own based on her own intuition, she is now, you know, experiencing a level of vitality that was totally unavailable to her through mm -hmm. pharmaceutical medicine. And I've had this experience over and over and over again, that what is available through lifestyle medicine blows my colleagues' outcomes out of the water. Yeah. And so I don't have any need, I don't see any need at all for pharmaceutical treatment. But again, I work with patients who already believe that to be possible, right? Yeah. So that mindset is really critical piece. I, so, okay, many, okay, this is the, the kind of getting to the heart of this stuff. So a lot of the women that are listening to this podcast right now, they suffered with some sort of substance abuse problem, right? And there mm -hmm. is a high correlation between substance abuse and, well, there's comorbidity, substance abuse, uh, anxiety disorders, and depression. There's this yeah. also this other piece to this that I think is the most critical, which is that a lot of women have already fought for their right to take medication. A lot of women mm -hmm. already feel stigmatized about mental illness. Yes. And this whole don't take the medication, just, you know, kind of do this other thing or feeling wrong for taking medication is a thing. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious of how you approach that, because for some people, it is, I think, almost damaging to hear you don't need medication um, based well, upon like the reverse of what she said. The act of feminism is like, I, I'm going to do this. Yeah. This is, is that right, Holly? Is that fair? Yeah, no, yes, please, yes, yes. Yeah, I, so, so listen, remember that I too, not too long ago, felt very passionately about a, not only a woman's right to medication, but a pregnant woman's right to medication, a breastfeeding woman's right to medication. I get it. I know what that feels like to, to want to protect the right to treatment. I get it. But I also believe when you know better, you do better, right? This is Maya Angelou's quote. Mm -hmm. And so when you are exposed to the information that changed my life, you know, how does it feel for you? Does it feel interesting? Does it feel like something you want to know more about? Does it feel like there's a little voice deep down inside that says, yeah, there's something there for me. Like, let me just check this out. For me. Because if it, 
Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Keep, I was going to say, for me, yes. So, so yes. Like, for me, it was the proof I needed into something that I had felt for a really long time. I got off of Wellbutrin years ago because I knew what it was doing. Like, I had a very, very, um, I didn't feel good. Um, and I'm also very hesitant to take medication. Um, it's also why I stopped drinking. It's also why I stopped, you know, using uh shitty products on my face um but there is but for like laura and this is kind of where i really want laura to start talking um laura takes medication um and so for me it was a relief but i can't speak to somebody that right now is just you know like that is that is on medication um currently is like listening to this and not knowing yeah so Laura? here's the thing. Yes, I I'm just yeah. going to interject really quickly before you before you personalize it, um, because I think this is such an important question. Here's the thing: the 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 self care, basic self care, like honoring your organism. Okay, the the protocol that I implement is the same whether you're on medication and loving it, whether you are on medication and feeling still some residual symptoms or whether you want to come off it or whether you want to avoid it. It's basically just, I mean, in fact, that's what we call the online program is a reset. It's mm. basically just, here are the tools that I have found to be exquisitely powerful when mm. used in combination, again, all evidence-based um, for someone who has struggled with Depression, anxiety, ADHD, you know, chronic fatigue, chemical sensitivity, the, the things that we are, you know, collectively struggling with as a female population. Mm-hmm. Um, this, try it out. Because what if you actually have a shift and you start to feel like, you know what, maybe my phase of medicated life is coming to a close. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm actually ready to see what's next. Mm-hmm. Because the patients that I work with who ultimately decide that they want to come off of medication, what is, what is awaiting them is something so expansively profound that I don't think they could have envisioned it before they actually went through this experience of bodily healing. It's a critical piece of even making that decision or even developing an opinion about your relationship to medication. My thing is like, as long as you are taking a medication chronically, you are in a dependent relationship with something external. It can really be that simple, that philosophical, because I have more concrete concerns about why we have to raise, you know, some red flags about initiating medication in anyone, but that's, you know, around the risks um, question. But this is really more philosophical. It's like, it's my belief that, you know, the body has a wisdom that we don't even get. Okay. We, we can't get it. Our brains are not built to get it. We just have to trust it. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you get into that place, you get to live life fearlessly. Like, is there anything else we want? Isn't that yeah. what we want? Don't we want to live life fearlessly? Like truly wake up every day and be like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> I don't care if it hurts. I trust that it hurts for a reason. Like I'm here to dig my, you know, sink my teeth into this experience while I'm here and to not feel driven by fear. I think it's really hard to get to that place if you are, if you are outsourcing um, your wellness, so to speak. But there's no, it's never too late to re-examine that question. The video I just talked about of of my patient Rose, 25 years, the woman is 50. Okay. And she, she feels like she just started her life and mm-hmm. she's psyched about it. 
So it's just yeah. opening up a conversation. It sounds like how we sell sobriety to our people, Laura. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, exactly. It's like it's that's exactly what you said. But, you know, I have it, this is such a good conversation for me. And I've been kind of ignoring it or I don't know. It's sort of the information just coming to me now. You know, I'm two years sober. I um, went on an anti-anxiety, anti, I'm on an SSRI, like, when my daughter was born. So seven years ago, um, to treat anxiety, I mean, all the while I was drinking, um, right, uh, abusively. And um, it honestly, I learned how to, it was, it helped me to drink more. And I, I knew that it didn't necessarily help my anxiety. But now I'm in this, um, I think women, it's like an intelligent thing that you do for the wrong, under, like, um, the intelligent thing you do under ill-advisement, you know? Totally. It's like, we are very intelligent about how to medicate ourselves and totally. how to keep all these things up in the back end to live our lives. But now I'm in a state where I have, if I don't take my medication for whatever reason I forget or I don't have it filled, oh, yeah. and I take three or four days, I am not well. Oh, yeah. You don't have to tell me that. I know all about it. So, yeah. so you know, I... I want to know, like, for someone like me, um, you know, what is the path forward? And do I, do I really not need to be on this medication anymore? You know, I had my doctor tell me, like, don't go off of it in your first two years. Like, there's no reason mm -hmm. to do that. Um, maybe yeah. you never need to go. Yeah, maybe. You know? and, and yeah, maybe you actually need it, right? So, so, which is what I was trained to tell patients. Um, you know, it's like insulin to a diabetic. You're mentally ill. You're going to be that way for life. And, you know, just be a good patient and take, you know, just take your medication, right? Like that's the posture of most of conventional medicine. And then we sort of scare you into even thinking about stopping it. And then that, that fear is reinforced by the frank withdrawal, the withdrawal effects that you experience, which you're alluding to. Right? And, you know, I was always taught to, 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 to tell patients who experience withdrawal after stopping um, an antidepressant, Oh, well, you see, you see, you need it. You get it now. Like, how about you just take your meds? But what's interesting so is that even the literature now since 2014 and specifically, uh, Giovanni Fava's group out of Italy, uh, the literature confirms that this is not relapse. Those are not your symptoms. This is chemical withdrawal. Remember that alcohol analogy I made, right? It's chemical withdrawal in the same exact way, except I would argue it's worse than any other chemical substance on earth because I have never heard of having to detox from heroin, cocaine, you know, Oxycontin, any of it by sometimes 1% of your total daily dose per month over years. This is what I have to do in my practice. And all you have to do is Google SSRI withdrawal to find that there are thousands of patients the world over who are doing this themselves because there are no clinicians willing to help support them. Yep, yep. What I think I have come on to and why I think my approach um, is particularly effective, so to speak, for the right person, is that if you drain the bucket of your physiologic stressors and burdens first, which is, you know, what I do, you know, with patients, the first month we meet, there is a no messing around dietary protocol, no cheating, not once. Okay. It's not mm -hmm. a difficult protocol, but it's, it's a no processed food, no sugar protocol, and you don't get to cheat one time. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. You're going to be meditating for three minutes a day. Not very difficult, but every single day, no excuses, not missing one day. 
You are going to begin detox. A lot of my patients have to do things like coffee enemas and skin brushing, but for the most part, you have to at least begin to look at your products. Like you were saying, you were beginning to look into how am I not adding to the burden of my stress response and immune system? How am I going to actually drain that bucket over this month? You're going to begin to work on your mindset. You're going to get psyched about what's coming, not afraid, (laughs) you know, of the next right? So all that has to happen. And then the taper process is, in my experience, because I did it both ways, uh, so much easier. You still have to go slowly. You still have to work responsibly. You know, 10 to 25% of your dose every, you know, four weeks is pretty typical. And it depends how long you've been on meds. So that may predict how long you might have to take to come off them, but at least you're starting the process. And it, is totally, I believe it is possible for every single person because I have had, you know, patients who thought they were brain damaged, you know, do Kundalini yoga with me and within one month recover brain function. So I don't believe that any, anybody is beyond, um, recovery in this way. And I believe it is possible for every single patient to come off of medication, but I just, I happen to be biased in favor of this approach. No, this is great. And I know we're like right up against time, but I, I have, I have a specific question about people in, um, recovery, say a lot of, a lot of women. Um, and if you go to 12 step programs, it's like, and I thought this too, and I, and I would swear that it worked for me because it was, I'm two years sober and, and this is the way I went. Okay. I need to quit alcohol. I have like acute alcohol addiction. I am coming off alcohol, but I'm not going to worry about anything else for Uh however long. I'm not going to worry about sugar. I'm not going to worry about my diet. What? What is it like looking at what was driving you to drink in the first place? That's not even really a consideration. Well, I mean, I did think about that and I, and I threw the book at it in every other sense. Okay. But medication and diet, I did not do, I didn't touch it. Um, because I needed to stop drinking and, and I, you know, but I do, I'm, I do yoga. I have a strong, strong spiritual practice. I have, you know, good meditation. I have all the other things. I didn't want to touch diet and medication though. I just, and I honestly didn't think about it. I was just like, fuck it. I need to quit drinking and I'm not going to worry about sugar. (laughs) Yeah. What do you have to say about that? Yeah. Well, this is how, you know, you had, um, you had sort of like a simultaneous experience, but what I think maybe even is more common is that people stop drinking and they start using psych meds. You know, in my training, that was pretty much what happened. You know, we, we put people through, um, dual diagnosis units and we got them off their, you know, alcohol or cocaine or heroin. And we put them on, as I've just said, even more habit forming substances that are, um, conscious altering, consciousness altering, you know, they're, they're, they're only subtly different in my opinion. Um, so that's a very common trajectory. And listen, if that's been your trajectory, good. Now you can investigate another approach. You know, now you right. can see if it's resonant to look into another way to engage even a, a third phase, right? So if that yeah. was the way that you be started it, it's, it's never, ever, ever too late. It's just not, um, you know, to begin, to look at how to pull it all together. I work with a lot of um, yogis, right? Like I'm big into um, Kundalini. And so I have yogis as patient teachers, as patients. And believe me, their spiritual practice, you know, is humbling. It's so deep. Um, and, and they get it, you know, and they're, and they're deeply at one with this life experience. They're aligned, except 
you know, we, you know, I go to a, um, a workshop, a yoga workshop and they're serving like chai tea cookies. with sugar. Yeah. And cookies, <laughs> like literally like Pepperidge farm. Cookies. I know. I'm like, okay. No, I went to Kelly. Oh my God. <laughs> no, I went to a, um, an addiction training with Kund- I'm a Kundalini yoga instructor and I went to an addiction training Oh my gosh! and they had the, um, the food they were serving. Everyone was looking around at each other. It's so stuck. It's really stuck in the seventies. Um, and so it's yes. the, yeah, the nutrition yes. protocols. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yogi Bhajan loves his cookies. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> it's so true. But listen, it's like it's you have to focus on the parts that are available to your um, awareness at a given time, and then you can get to the other parts. So mm-hmm. my point was that right, like so many people have started with spirituality, but the body is not going to be neglected. You're going to be reminded at some point that you need to bring that into the conversation. You need to clear it out, clean it out and honor it, you know, every single day and not just through exercise, but also through the way you use food as information. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where I am now. And it's come, it's come, you know, at the right time. I mean, I, so I just want, I know there's a lot of women listening to this and I've even said it myself, like you have one job right now is to stop drinking. And you know, I've, I, it's, it's a yes. lot of women are sitting there going, I can't do all of this. That's I right. I can't think about That's all right. of this. I agree. I agree, Laura. And I think what Kelly said, like, I agree with exactly what you said, Laura, because there's all this stuff that we're told to do at once, you know, um, and it overwhelms people and they just don't get up, end up going anywhere. And I think you're exactly right. Your number one job is to stop drinking. But I, I and I also love what Kelly just said, like, it's when it comes into your awareness. Um, and that was for me, right? Diet and nutrition didn't come into play as a serious thing until a year and a half in, right? Um, yeah. And like, and, and there are still certain things that I'm not even like that are still not within my realm. But over time, as we're able to make these changes, as we're able to make these changes, um, it it also becomes more, it resonates more when we're able to. Um, right. But um, Kelly, I know that we're, we're out of time. I just have to say, I love your work. I understand completely um, how controversial it is. Um, and I think you're incredibly brave. I love getting your emails because you have, um, you, say, you just don't hold back. Um, and <laughs> I know it's so refreshing from a doctor. It's so, like, I love that you posted about Macklemore's video. That was awesome. It's amazing, right? It's, it's like it's amazing. that, you know, I, it's, I love that. I just love that. When, once it gets into the hands of the artists, like yeah. we're good, we're going to be yeah. okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so thank much you. for being here. Thank you for what you do. I, you know, listen, it's, um, it's an amazing thing even to be open to this conversation and to, to, to offer, you know, this, these different kinds of perspectives to, to women who are obviously looking um, for a variety of, of methods of supporting themselves. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kelly. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye. Bye.